Let us pray together. God, we thank you for the gathering this morning and pray that this worship this morning would be a place of peace and a place of rest, a place where we could connect with you. Please let my words come from your heart and not my own. And all this we ask in your son's name. Amen. As I said in the beginning, we're continuing our series entitled, Who's Justice? And the title of this series provokes a question, Who's Justice? Because it asks a question of perspective. And so the first week we looked at our own perspective, and we talked about the woman at the well who Jesus meets, and she sees her, or he sees her, and he knows her. And he knows everything she's done, but he welcomes her, he greets her, he invites her to be part of this new kingdom. Not just despite everything she's done, but including everything she's done. And so that if, means if we are invited as she is invited, then we can extrapolate that to other people, the people sitting next to you here, the people outside these walls today, and people all over the world are seen and known and named by Christ, just as she was and just as you are. And then we moved that out further to talk about the other, to really get into the idea of our neighbor and talk about other people and get into this idea of how we love our neighbors. And we moved from there to talk about climate and to talk about how climate change is, is an issue of our own stewardship of the planet, but it's also an issue of justice. It's an issue for the poorest and the most marginalized among us, especially people of color. They are the ones most affected by climate change. And so now we move to talking about the youngest among us, to talk about children. And children present a perspective that is an intersection of so many of the things that we've talked about previously in previous weeks. There's an intersection of race and of gender and of climate, and all of this comes to bear when we talk about justice for children. When I was a child, I loved to play. I was definitely one of those kids in a costume. I've loved seeing Nessa come to church with her Captain America and everything else. I would mix and match so that I could be Robin Hood in one instance, definitely the Fox cartoon Robin Hood from, from Disney, sometimes Errol Flynn, but definitely cartoon Fox Robin Hood, but also have a cape so that I could be Robin from Batman, kind of mix the two. You always had to have kind of everything on hand. You needed a sword, you needed a bow. There's pictures of me at my aunt's house where we used to go quite regularly. She lived in town near us, and I had a coat hanger stuffed down the back of my shirt because that's obviously a bow, you know, so I could be Robin Hood. It, it, this was just my life as a child. I loved to, to play. I had, um, in many ways, obviously, in childhood, um, you, you reflect as an adult back on, on things that aren't always great in your childhood, but by all accounts, my childhood was a, a pretty ideal Western childhood. I, I was innocent. I loved to play. I got to enjoy myself. 
But this idea of childhood being like that is, is a fairly modern idea, actually. It begins kind of in the 1600s, the idea that children should have an experience that's maybe different from that of adults. And it develops even then to, to later um, centuries, and especially in the Victorian age, as, as there is the rising of the middle class, there becomes an idea that children are different, they're innocent, and they should have fun, and they should play. That's not always been the case in, in human history. So this idea of childhood being something fun and lovely and innocent is actually a fairly modern idea, but I think it's a right idea and it's a good idea that we finally started to realize that this is kind of the childhood that, that children should experience. And I was fortunate enough to experience that kind of childhood. But not every child does, and in fact, it's the case that for many, many children, this idea of a childhood of play and of dress-up and of innocence and warmth and safety is just not true. So where do we begin with this perspective? Where do we start when we're going to talk about justice for children? I think there are two directions generally that we start with in churches, especially in our sorts of churches. When we talk about children, when we talk about young people, we go kind of two directions. The first direction is we talk about children in worship. Right? How do we include children in worship? What is the child's role? Do we get them to serve? Do we do things for them? Do we have an intergenerational service? Those are always fun. Do we, you know, do we change the style? Do we do them as one-offs or do we actually change what we do as a Sunday morning? Do we do what we do, which has become kind of the norm where um, the children begin the service and then they um, go out for something more their age appropriate? But these are kind of where the, the questions where we start with kids. What do we do with children in worship? And then the second is, how do we get young people and how do we get children into church? That's kind of the second question we ask. Or how do we appeal to them? How do we retain them? How do we keep young people around? These are kind of the questions we're asking when we talk about children. But I want to maybe go a slightly different direction than this. I think there's a lot of stuff and a lot of research on those questions, but when we're talking about justice globally for children, those questions aren't quite as relevant. Our reading this morning is a bit different than you might expect. I don't know if you, when you heard we were talking about children, if the first text that comes to mind that I might have picked is, let the children come to me, and Jesus rebuking the disciples for keeping the kids away. But this text is a bit different, and it's a bit traumatic, and it's a bit dark, and it takes us a bit into the Advent season. So Anne is going to come and read our text for us now. Reading is from the Gospel of Matthew. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave, other, he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
Amen. This is one of the saddest and most depressing stories in the Bible, and the Bible can be full of traumatic and sad and depressing stories. It recalls the story around the birth of Moses when Pharaoh did much the same thing and had all of the young boys massacred. Herod does this out of fear, he does this out of anger, and so a whole generation, and you think even of the young people who are there who are over two years old, who see their brothers, to see their siblings taken away from them and massacred. This would have been such a difficult and traumatic event, an upbringing of violence and travail. We might think this story shows something that is so far away from what childhood should be or what the norm of childhood is. But the reality for many children is that theirs is a world of violence and travail. Throughout the world, children are experiencing a lot of different things than what I experienced in my childhood. In terms of poverty around the world, there are what an estimated one billion children living in what UNICEF calls multidimensional poverty, which means not just monetary, but food, but resources, things like clean water, enough food. 4.3 million children in the UK alone live in poverty. This is not some faraway problem. In terms of human trafficking, 10.1 million children under the 18 are victims of human trafficking. Something close to a third of all human trafficking victims are children into forced marriage, into forced labor, into modern slavery, or into sexual exploitation. And in terms of the climate as well, every year environmental factors take the lives of 1.7 million children under five, again according to UNICEF. Children bring to bear an intersection of everything that we have been talking about. And what makes it so painful is that children cannot fight for themselves. When we're speaking about other people, when we're speaking about ourselves, when we're speaking about our neighbors, there are people who are voiceless, there are people who are marginalized, who we must speak up for, but as adults, we know that we have some agency. We have some ability to fight for ourselves. The children under two, living under the reign of Herod, had no way to fight for themselves. And children all around the world have no way to fight for themselves. When it comes to how we think about justice for children, where we have to start is the idea of vulnerability. Children need us to speak for them. The world that many children are born into, again, not just far away. It's one of violence and travail. So when we reflect on this, 
Obviously, there are many practical things we can do to work to help the plight of children in our own country. We need to lobby our government to take more care of our children, a government that is continually making it harder, defunding schools, taking away free school meals. These are things that we cannot abide. And I think up here where we live, that is not the way that we think that we should run schools and governments. And it's something that I think is in the heart of the people of Scotland to care for our children. But we also need to reflect on Christ because present but absent in the story of our reading is Christ himself, born as a vulnerable and helpless child, born not even in any sort of semblance of a proper hospital, born to unwed parents, born in violence and travail as a very young child, having to flee his country as a refugee. Again, statistics about refugees I didn't even bring up. But we know that it is the case for children also to exist as refugees. Jesus himself was born as a child. So when we think of justice for our children in our world, we should think of them each as Christ, born into the world, vulnerable and defenseless and voiceless. We must speak up for our children, for each one is as precious as Christ. And do you see how those questions of how do we include children in worship or what do we do to retain them, those questions kind of fade away when we have this sort of conversation. Children are precious to us. And to treat them as issues or problems to be solved is to miss the beauty of what it is to welcome a child as we would welcome Christ as a child into this world. So in response, we're going to have a moment of prayer led by a video that will be up on the screen. The video is a prayer written by a writer and theologian called Walter Brueggemann, and it is his reflection on the child of Christ and children born in violence and travail. So let us pray together. We give you thanks for the babe born in violence we give you thanks for the miracle of Bethlehem, born into the Jerusalem heritage. We do not understand why the innocents must be slaughtered. We know that your kingdom comes in violence and travail. Our time would be a good time for your kingdom to come because we've had enough of violence and travail. So we wait with eager longing and with enormous fear because your promises did not coincide with our favorite injustices. We pray for the coming of your kingdom on earth as it is around your heavenly throne. people grown weary of waiting. 
We dwell in the midst of cynical people, and we have settled for what we can control. We do know that you hold initiative for our lives, that your love planned our salvation before we saw the light of day. child born is born with the same dignity that Christ was born with.